Good morning. A few years ago, I believe it was seven years ago, uh, a group of us went to India on a pilgrimage to visit all of the uh, the major sites in, in the Buddha's life. And we began by spending uh, most of a week in Kathmandu. And uh, we were just up the street from the, uh, the Bodhanath Stupa. So if you ever Google Kathmandu, it's the stupa that shows up in the pictures. And every morning at, at 5.30, these gongs would play. I don't remember if they were centrally located or if it was over loudspeakers, but it got your attention. These gongs did. And it was... These gongs were calling people to come to the stupa. And so as we walked through the neighborhood of Boda, there were like these tricklets of people coming out of side streets and joining just a line of people going toward the stupa. So there was, it was very much an image of like streams coming together into a river, like streams of people coming together, going downhill to the stupa. And we found that uh, people were circumambulating around the Bodhanath stupa and turning prayer wheels never seen anything like this before because we don't have anything like that here really and there was such a variety of people men in business suits you know, elderly grandmothers being steadied by their granddaughters circumambulating around the stupa turning the prayer wheels And inside these prayer wheels are prayers. There are these prayers written out. So as you turn the, as you turn the prayer wheels, the, pray, the, uh, the prayers go out into the world. It was a very touching thing to be doing to be doing this with this practice with just you know hundreds of people all sending out prayers for the well-being of the world and it is the same sentiment with uh, prayer flags that the prayer flags are often hung in high places so that the wind blows 
the prayers that are written on the flags are distributed to all beings throughout space and time. We've tried to have prayer flags here at the, at the Zen Center, but the squirrels seem to have an antagonistic relationship towards our prayer flags and end up tearing them down, or maybe they really like them and they, it, it makes good nesting material, but they never survive for very long at San Antonio Zen Center. But what we were told is, as you're turning the prayer reels, what we're saying is, I don't know. That we are turning these prayer wheels for the benefit of the beings in the six realms. So the beings who are hungry ghosts or in hell realms, animal or human realms, the demigod or god realms. We're saying, I don't know, and it's not up to me to know. I'm going to turn these prayer wheels for the, for the benefit of all beings. So that at the very least, all the offerings are out there in the world. We say, I don't know if they exist, but I'm going to include them. Very different form of, how would I put, it's a very overt form of a devotional practice. Saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Or, here you go, here you go. All these prayers and, and well wishes going out into the world. Have some. This is for you. This is for all beings. I don't get to choose. I don't need to choose. And our, our form of it. form of it really manifests itself and manifests itself in our practice of meditation. When we often first come to practice, it's very self-focused and that's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And after a while, when, the, when, we've, when we have settled into practice, we begin to settle into practice, the thought occurs to us, that, wow, this is really kind of amazing stuff. You know, who would have ever thought that sitting in silence in front of a wall would be transformative? It's very, very counterintuitive to our normal way of doing things, 
what we're taught, what we're told in the West is that we can spend our way out of suffering or that we can do anything else but face the suffering in order to end the suffering. Which is why I think many of us, when we come to practice, we come to practice later in life. When I first began practice, I was 35 and I was one of the, I was one of the young ones at Austin Zen Center. And it takes us a while of living this conventional life of thinking we can spend our way out of trouble or drink our way out of trouble. However it is that we've avoided our suffering, that there is a way out of that by doing anything but sitting still. So when our lives begin to change, we think, wow, this is, this is really kind of amazing stuff. I don't know what's happening. There's something so subtle, so profound that's happening. And it's happening like on a cellular level. So in the beginning, it's all we can do to keep from climbing out of our skin when we first sit us in. In half hour periods that seem like, you know, an eternity. But as that ship begins to turn, we begin to devote ourselves to taking care of our practice into our life. We don't know what's happening, but something is happening and we need to take care of it. Something very powerful begins to happen. And for months, we do these chants, do these chants where we chant for the benefit, for the well being of all, for the awakening of all. And in the beginning, we're just, we're just trying to keep up on the page. We're trying to try not to lose our place when we're, when we're chanting. And by the practice of repetition, it becomes more embodied. To where we're not even consciously really kind of, we're consciously chanting. But the body is doing the chanting rather than the mind is doing the chanting. 
So it's very embodied. And then the words begin awakening something in us. We realize that practicing for the welfare of, of all beings. We're living for the welfare of all beings, which is why we follow the precepts. If we follow the precepts, it's pretty hard to harm people if we follow the precepts. This is when we begin to realize this deep connection, this deep interdependence that we have. Oh, if I vow to save all beings, and I'm vowing to save all beings in a room of people who are vowing to save all beings, then I'm saving them and they're saving me. So this devotion is actually, it's a dedication. We can be devoted to our practice. We can be dedicated to our practice. We can be devoted to following the precepts. We can be dedicated to following the precepts. And in this way, we become a disciple to the Buddha way. A disciple to living our life in a wholesome way, in a way that benefits self and others, it doesn't cause harm. And in the beginning, we uh, kind of hold it close. We're not sure what this, what this practice is really all about. It really hasn't begun to really work its magic yet. And then we have a ceremony like Chukai or a priest ordination or even a, a Buddhist wedding. Where we get up we get up in front of others and we do these vows. We say these vows in the presence of others. So when we're all doing a full moon ceremony and we're reciting the precepts, paying homage to the ancestors,
when we all do it together in our individual voices and as one voice. It's potent, but it's not as potent as being up in front of people saying it by yourself. So whenever we do Jukai, there's a marriage or a ordination. What we're really doing is saying, I vow, I vow to follow these precepts. I vow to save all beings. And I'm asking for help. At a, at a wedding I went to a long time ago, the minister asked the couple if they would take care of each other and support each other. And they had to say, yes, I will. And then he turned to us and he said, will you support them in their marriage. And our role in that moment was to say, yes, I will. So it was this amazing and wonderful, affirm, affirmation that we're all in this together. Couples pledging there's their love and support to each other. And we were pledging our love and support to the couple. And we we're also pledging our love and support to each other. So as we're sitting, as we're practicing and we're practicing for the welfare of all beings, it's very important to remember that other beings are practicing for our well-being and our support and the support of us to take care of us. Just as when we vowed to save all beings, we're saying you're not alone, you're not by yourself. And in turn, when they're practicing and they're vowing to save all beings, they're telling us, you're not alone. We're in this together. I've got your back. We, so we have our intentions to be devoted to save all beings. And what our, what our job is to, is to find out, what does that look like? How does that manifest? How is that realized in my life? This is the, the challenge that we have.
And it's also an amazing opportunity to find out what the expression of our life is. To be fully alive, to be fully engaged. given this really quite remarkable and amazing opportunity to come back over, to come back and reconnect over and over and over again. In the West we're sold the myth of the, of the individual. And that comes at our cost, that comes at a cost to us. Because our challenge is to figure out how to connect. And one of the ways that we connect is sitting together, chanting together, bowing together, circumambulating, turning prayer wheels together, clicking on a Zoom link, and sitting together in this way, there, there are innumerable expressions of this connectedness, innumerable expressions of this devotion. And there doesn't need to be a special feeling associated with it. We don't need a special feeling to be, to be connected because we are already connected. So the special feeling might be extra. It may give us a, uh, a nice feeling and the oxytocin gets flowing and we feel connected and bonded to each other. But whether or not that's there, we're still connected. So our devotion is really of realizing, realizing and embodying that connection. just as often as it takes, coming back over and over and over again. <laughs> 